Welcome to the human side of research, conversations to inspire and help you advance in your scientific career. And these are the voices of today's conversation. And, and nobody sort of thinks in secondary school, I want to be an assistant professor. And, and so for me, it came as a complete revelation that, that I was doing it because of the people. And realizing I can't do everything. Because I need to make choices and take care of myself and my health in a sustainable way. But because it is very, so very exciting, we want to also jump in that for 100%. And if you have too many 100%, it adds up very, very quickly. And then I started saying just no. And, and everything just continued. And now all of a sudden being also responsible for the scientific career of the people that work for you and also put their faith in your choices, I think that's mind-blowing just to grasp that. My name is Geza and I'm your host. I did a PhD in social psychology and I soon realized that my heart goes out more to supporting researchers in their personal journeys than to conducting research myself. That is why I now work as a trainer and coach for scientists at Downside Up. We train thousands of researchers a year in the skills they need to transition from being good and doing research to being successful, healthy, and fulfilled scientists. In this podcast, we don't talk about study designs or the outcomes of scientific experiments. These conversations are about the human side of doing research, the stories about the people behind the scientific output. You will hear scientists, coaches, and other experts in science share their personal stories and advice regarding the challenges and opportunities of academic careers. I hope that this podcast will excite, inspire, and help you in your own career. This first episode is a live, uncut recording of a conversation that took place at Wageningen University and Research on April 20th this year. To give you some context, the conversation was the kickoff event of our tenure track development program at Wageningen, a one-year program that supports assistant and associate professors in their personal development. The guests you hear are the Rector Magnificus Professor Arthur Moll, Chairholder of Biochemistry Professor Dorf Weyers, Associate Professors Ilona de Hoge and Schauk Gingmer, and Assistant Professor Wouter Kohle. The conversation was led by Downside Up Director Simon Dau. You will hear the guests talk about their personal experiences when it comes to topics like juggling too many balls and how to choose what to spend your time on, what to do when you feel stuck, how the scientific landscape has changed over the last 20 years, and more. Enjoy! So, again, uh, upcoming hour is about how to become a leading researcher. We'll talk with five people, therefore all the tables are here. Uh, let me introduce the first person. It's someone I hope you all know. It would be sort of awkward if you don't. Uh, please welcome to the stage your Rector Magnificus and Vice President of the Ver, Professor Arthur Moe. Well, you did uh, prepare the applause well. Uh, yeah, you got a bigger one than I did, so, so I don't know what that says, but more about you than about me, I hope. <laughs> Uh, this yeah. should work. Yeah, welcome to your campus. Thank you very much. <laughs> Shall I just uh, jump in? Jump in. Because we're, of course, talking about the development of research, your personal, your professional development. And 
what I was wondering, some might see you as such a super experienced senior person that learning is something of the past. You've gone beyond that. But therefore the question, what's the last time you spent conscious, active attention to your own development as a leading researcher? Hey. <laughs> That's good. I, I, was a I was just uh, a little bit afraid that you were going to ask when did you last, for the last time, followed a course for your personal development, and then I had to disappoint you, because I never did that. Never? And, uh, no, and I really regret that also, but uh, that was at, uh, when I was uh, at the age of, well, it was not then a tenure track uh, system, but uh, an assistant professor, etc. It was not well developed in, uh, in our university. Uh, uh, so, uh, and I very much regretted that because I thought, I still think uh, uh, that I could have learned a lot uh, and also uh, prevented a lot of, uh, well, boogie, boogie traps which I jumped into. Uh, but, but to come back to your question, so the last time I consciously thought about uh, personal development uh, was basically not so long ago, so maybe one and a half week ago. Um, well, I think most of you will know here that we will have uh, in a few months' time an, um, uh, a, a new president in our organization. So Luisa uh, uh, Fresco will step down and we will get the new one, Schauke uh, Heimovara. And of course, that changes also the composition of the executive board, and that means also something for, for me as part of the executive board as a rector. Uh, so uh, uh, that also uh, made me think, okay, what does that mean for me? And what does it mean for the type of skills which are then needed in a new setting of an executive board? And then it comes, okay, so what, uh, what yeah, is needed for new development of personal skills or of uh, leadership or well, you, you name it? And did that if I may ask, already crystallized down to a certain skill you'd like to establish even more, or not necessarily? No, well, uh, uh, that of course requires uh, talks among the new executive board, and we have, I was just talking to uh, one of the other panel members, so we will have that uh, coming Friday, we will go to uh, uh, what we call always, uh, I'm not sure what, uh, the, the away day session, so the Heidach session, so uh, where we, the three of us, the three new members of the executive board will sit together and, and see a little bit what is the new composition, what brings us, what kind of uh, uh, persons do we need there, uh, what are the individual skills. Uh, and then, of course, the financial officer, Rense, uh, that's quite clear what his task is. He just makes sure that we have enough money because we want to do research in education. But then for the other two, say the director and the, the president, it's always a little bit of a balancing act. So you have to... Well, basically what you also see, uh, and I think that also counts for all of you, uh, it's, it's usually teamwork. So you, you look at the team and you say, okay, as a team you have to run the organization. And what is necessary for that and make sure that it is there in the team. And, uh, and it depends, of course, what the others bring and so what you're missing or what you should develop then. So if I understand correctly, actually the change of the composition actually has now invited you to again assess your own development and what to focus on. Yeah, I think that that's a uh, correct remark. So usually what I, because uh, if you, well, I'm now seven years as a rector there, so uh, so I know most of the tricks which are being played, etc. And I know when professors come up with a, uh, with a very red hat, uh, with the complaint, etc. I know how to handle that more or less. So, uh, well, more, more or less. Uh, uh, <laughs> 
Uh, but I like think that what, happens often, actually. But it happens. <laughs> let's let's put it that way. Uh, but of course, what what really uh, brings new thing is either indeed that the, the, the surrounding is uh, the sort of team is is changing that invites you, and of course new developments uh, which are there uh, where you need indeed new types of. Uh, ideas, new types of leadership, new types of skills, uh, new ways of handling uh, uh, new issues. Uh, yeah, so and, and that constantly happens, of course. So it's it's never a static position. So I thought uh, uh, my first term as a rector, yeah, that's that's really new. And after four years, I know it, and so I can well take it a little bit more easy. Well, that's not the case. <laughs> okay, cool. We'll definitely dive into uh, a little bit more into what you said about new leadership and context changing. Um, but before we go there, I was triggered by that obviously there was no tenure track yet uh, established when you did your assistant professorship. Um, and you didn't even uh, do a course that was also, I think, a little bit less um, known. But, but may I ask, how did your development look like? Was it just trying out? Was it uh, mentoring? Or did you use role models? What, what's the way you develop yourself as an assistant yeah, professor? Well, it's a good question. So it's, it's indeed a lot of trying out. It's also a, lo a lot of uh, looking at the neighbor, so to say. So look, where are you? Do you see examples of people who do certain kind of things? And in, in my situation as an assistant young uh, young scientist, I looked, of course, at the at the established professors, how they did that, uh, how do they, how did they perform at uh, uh, at major conferences, how did they uh, publish, etc., how did they run a team, etc., and see what I liked of that and and what I didn't like that. And uh, indeed, also, you, well, you always have, and I think you also have that, you have uh, two or three people where you think, well, I, I like these people, uh, I trust them, uh, so you can have a little bit more. And, well, also, uh, point, put forward your weak points and, and say, well, how would you cope with that? And uh, But it was a lot of uh, yeah trial and error, and, and also a little bit of uh, uh, introspection, so so what I'm where am I good at, uh, and what is not so strong with me? Uh, uh, so I always, I'm, I'm quite frank about that. I'm not extremely creative. Uh, so we will have Dolph in a moment. He's very creative, I think, uh, but maybe he will deny that. Uh, so I always look at persons around me which are very creative, because uh, uh, that helps me also to 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 cover my my weak uh, side. So uh, introspection of that, um, but of course it is uh, of course a weak point of me that I never got got to a course. Of course, of course there were courses which could help me a lot, but somehow it didn't. It wasn't in the system at that time, and uh, think I couldn't you think of it. Really myself. want to we we might be able to make an exception for you in the tenure track development <laughs> program, but it's... I was really hoping for that, because <laughs> after my rectorate, I have to move back somehow, so... Uh. And um, do you remember what, what for you was the... Because we're going a little bit back because of what you're saying to your assistant professorhood, associate professorhood, uh, do you remember what the most joyous, fun, inspiring part of becoming a leading researcher was? Because you said something about, of course, try, trial and error, making mistakes, booby traps. You know, you, you mentioned a couple of things that, that can go wrong or, or provide hurdles. What for you was the, the joy and the pleasure, if there was any, <laughs> in, uh, in that phase of your career? No, there, there were a lot of that, so, so let me assure you that. No, I think what I always gave me uh, most uh, satisfaction, so to, and also uh, most pleasure, if you, you work with uh, a couple of people, so it we could call it now a team, I think. Uh, it can be a chair group or just a, a, a couple of colleagues, etc. 
and you see things growing. So you see that you, you become better renowned uh, worldwide, uh, you have better publications, you have more enthusiastic students, etc. And that gives me a lot of energy. Uh, and uh, I noticed that, so I started to look into the, so how can I improve that quality a little bit more? Uh, and I, I, I still enjoy it. So uh, that doesn't mean that I, I became a full-time manager, because basically, yeah, man, uh, it sounds a little bit strange, but management is not that interesting, uh, I think. Uh, uh, so I'm, I was always someone who's really on the content, so really uh, around a content issue uh, work together. Uh, and if that went well, and if you really came to new uh, ideas, so uh, yeah, that helped me a lot. So, so one of the, the, the great things was I had then an, uh, a general director. I was just an assistant professor in environmental policy in the social sciences. And that uh, general director said, so why are we never, as social scientists, uh, uh, publishing in science and nature? And I thought, yeah, that is really strange. Uh, so I put a, a long-term strategy to, to have a science publication. And, well, it took me quite some time, I can assure you that. But in the end, we managed that. And, and that, gave me, that kind of things gave me a lot of yeah, satisfaction and joy and uh, energy and uh, excitement. Uh, and keeps me yeah, uh, on that track of... Uh, yeah. So yeah, groups like together. finding new things, but I also hear something about long-term goal setting and actually going there. Is that something that has stimulated you? Yeah, but I really had to learn that. So I, I'm uh, also, well, okay, give you another characteristic. I'm very impatient, uh, I have to say. So uh, long-term strategy planning is not a natural habit of me. So I really had to learn on the, so uh, what I tried to do there is, of course, directly started writing an article of science. Of course, that completely failed and it was uh, rejected really at the, uh, I think it even didn't reach the desk of the editors. It came just flying by and it, Completely was rejected to the to the waste bin, uh, so I had to learn really to to uh, think more carefully, plan more carefully, uh, uh, and if you do think, do that also in a longer term strategy. And yeah, well, and there were people, of course, who helped me with that uh, about thinking a little bit further ahead than just the next moment and the next publication and the next PhD student, etc. Yeah. Have you ever, because you said that sometimes you had the experience of. Uh, creativity being a challenge for which you seek out other people. Um, have you ever really gotten stuck as a researcher that you're like, I don't know how to continue, maybe this science publication already is an example, but that you felt like, oh, I don't know how to continue or how to pull this out of myself or what to do differently to take a next step? Yeah, and I think it's, it's, well, I would not say it's rather the rule than the exception, but uh, yeah, that happens quite a lot of time. It still happens a lot. There, there, where, where you, you face an, uh, either a problem or you, uh, an, a challenge or something you want to achieve, etc., where you just th you look at the problem and you just don't know how to approach it uh, and what would be the first steps to take. And uh, it helps me then really also to throw it somewhere at the table. And it can be either uh, within uh, uh, the profession or completely outside of the profession. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't help. Uh, so people say a lot of things and you say, well, thanks for thinking with me, but I don't think that that's the solution. But at least it, 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 it helps you that, well, that you're not the only one who can't solve it, so that, that's also assuring. But sometimes also it, it just uh, uh, gives you an, another angle to look at it. And uh, so I very much remember that I was, uh, I was doing my, my sabbatical in, uh, in Oxford and I was uh, writing a paper on uh, what I called then deinstitutionalization, it doesn't matter that much. And I wanted to use two examples, the America and Russia. And I wrote a paper, and I just got stuck in that paper. I, I, didn't, I didn't know what was wrong, but I, I, I couldn't finish it. 
and then uh, there was an American also sitting next door doing that. And I, I talked five minutes with him. I said, I have this paper. I do these two things. And I, I got completely stuck. And he said, I just throw out America. Just do only Russia. And that works. <laughs> Within five minutes. <laughs> and I, 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 I will not tell you how long I thought already about that. So, so yeah, that, that helps me a lot. Yeah. Thanks. Well, if it's okay for you, then I think... The term creativity helps us bridge to um, yeah. the invitation of someone else. At least you termed, you coined him as being quite creative. Please, a maybe even bigger, let's build up, round of applause for the chairholder of biochemistry here at the Wehr, Professor Dolph Weyers. <laughs> Welcome, Dolph. Would you consider yourself to be creative? I usually leave that to others to decide. I, I mean, the bar is pretty high now. Um, but so if, if you reflect on what creativity is, to me it, it means um, sort of rather chaotic thinking, associative thinking, and, and I'm very good at chaotic thinking. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm also relatively sort of clumsy and unstructured, so in that sense I probably tick all the boxes for being creative. Yeah. Is out of... Everything you heard Arthur Moll say, are there maybe mention one thing that you recognize or identify with of his experience? And maybe uh, if you uh, come to it, one thing that you don't recognize or don't identify with or experience in a different way? Yeah, so I think Arthur already said many things that I would have said. So that's, I think we're pretty much on the same page with many uh, aspects of you know, being a scientist and, and sort of what that entails. Um, there's uh, two things, I think, that I would like to stress. One is, for, for me, leadership in science is really about the people that you work with. And, um, and that is something that it took me quite some time to, to realize that, because I guess all of us uh, you know, start in science because of the science, because we're excited about doing science. And, and nobody sort of thinks in secondary school, I want to be an assistant professor, or I want to be an associate professor, or I want to be a scientific leader. You know, we're, we all want to do science, and then out of that you know, comes all the steps that you take as a, sort of as a consequence of that. And, and so... I, I don't know how that is for everybody here, but for me it came as a complete revelation that, that I was doing it because of the people, <laughs> not because of the <laughs> A science. surprise. That was a big surprise. So that was, that's the other thing that I, that I would like to emphasize. So while Arthur did not take courses, um, I did um, take one. And that was sort of a, a career-changing course for me. Um, that was so. There previously was something that is called a leadership development program. I'm sure it still exists, or a management development program, which was a one-year, one and a half-year program, which essentially was introspection, right? Thinking about why you're doing what you're doing and how you can get better at it. And this was the process that also uh, turned me actually to towards a much stronger focus on the people, and maybe less focus on on the scientific content itself, because these things actually go hand in hand. You know, if you work with happy people that enjoy what they do, that are inspired, then the science also gets better. So for me, that was uh, actually a, a big sort of revelation in my, in my development as a research leader. And, uh, and actually, it was very sort of, um, it was a relief, right, that you don't have to choose between the science and the people, right? because if you focus on the people, the science will get better. Mm. But it do, does sound like a more, uh, not less valuable, uh, but more indirect route to contributing to science by focusing on the people? 
Well, n none of us are actually at the bench doing science. At least maybe some of you are, but I haven't done that for a long time. So any impact that I have on the science is by not by doing it myself, but by talking to people, by giving people ideas, by helping people interpret, by you know making helping people make choices. Um, so so basically everything is indirect. Do you? There was a, I think it was. 2020 report uh, of the Wellcome Institute into academic cultures and a couple of things you said remind me of it one of the uh, let's say interpretations of the survey it was a survey that was sent out to I think 4,000 researchers worldwide and one of the interpretations was uh, in academia sometimes people have the tendency to focus so much on content that we are losing part of the socio-dynamic or leadership or management part. I'm thinking, I think I'm thinking about it because of what you said, but also what you said, like management isn't necessarily the fun part. It's the research that inspired you at first. Can you tell us a little bit about whether you recognize this? So a tendency to focus so much on the actual research instead of on people or management. I know this is a hard, hard distinction. Um, and what would be the advantages or disadvantages of that? Could you reflect on that? Well, I, I think it's essentially what I just tried to convey, that um, yes, I recognize what you say. Um, science is, in principle, sort of methodological and technical. So things need to be done in a certain way. It needs to be meticulous. It needs to be sort of uh, well, thorough. Uh, and that, of course, invites to really focus on how the science is done. Um, sort of technically, um, and so as also as a supervisor, as a as a sort of a leader, uh, you could also focus very much on that aspect. You know, make technically strong scientists that that you know know how to do their job as a scientist well. But um, uh, what I try to say is that uh, for me, you know, focusing on uh, sort of making sort of people or coaching people towards uh, satisfaction in what they do to you know to really sort of make them enjoy what they do uh, that automatically leads to people that are more motivated to also do their science well so um, yes i recognize that report but i think the solution is really to focus on the well-being of, of and, and excitement um, in in the employees that we work with in our team members because then the rest will follow yeah. arthur would you like to reflect on that now, I think I, I largely agree uh, with Dolph. Uh, so uh, the, the only thing what I would like to add, uh, uh, and, and that's a little bit an uh, in, in addition, um, it doesn't work in science to have uh, people who look after the well-being without having anything to do with science. So, uh, so we've seen a, a number, a couple of examples of that also in the Netherlands, uh, not here so much, uh, maybe. But if you have, a, say, a purely a manager there, it doesn't work in the scientific enterprise. So, to, if you can say it, or in a scientific organization. So, in that sense, uh, uh, leadership and management in scientific organizations always goes also via science. And uh, but in, uh, with all the other points, I think Dolph is right because it's basically it's it's about human capital, of course. So, our main capital is not the, the machines we have or the products we make; it's human capital, uh, and and to cherish that and 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 make sure that they are feeling well and collaborating well and uh, uh, are happy and uh, well. That helps tremendously for for a scientific organization. Yeah. Let's um, in a minute or two invite uh, additional human capital uh, here. But we, before we do that, you briefly said something about new leadership. 
Um, what I was wondering is, have both of you uh, seen academic culture change during your career, or not at all? Do you see it as something very stable in how it works? Uh, and if so, uh, what does it mean for leadership? Do expectations change for the new leaders, for the tenure trackers, associate professors? Do you see change there? Or has nothing really changed the past, let's say, 20, 30 years? What do you think? You may get very different answers from the two of us because we're slightly offset in generation. Um, but so I, I would say two things. One is that there is a much stronger focus on individual success than on sort of team success. Now um, or in the past? Now compared to the past. So I think in the past, structures of departments were, were such that not everybody needed to be visi visible. Not everybody needed to, you know, excel individually. Uh, so I think that is a, a major change. And of course, that has major impact on, on uh, leadership because it also means that the, the leader of a scientific department, an academic department, does not need to be sort of the person that is the most visible. The person needs to be a good mentor, needs to be a good coach, needs to facilitate the success of others. So I think that would be one important change. The other uh, that I've witnessed myself is uh, that there is a lot more emphasis on, on sort of the human aspect of science. Um, uh, like uh, Arthur just said, I think this is not something that has had uh, the same kind of attention for the last decades. It's, I think, the last years, maybe decade, that we're seeing a lot more emphasis on you know, well-being, uh, on, on sort of the needs of the individual in an organization. That, that would be my sense. I think that that's a completely valid point. Uh, so maybe to add one, I think what really also changed is that science is much more uh, uh, out there in the open. So it's it has to be completely transparent. It's uh, it's very vulnerable to reputation. It's and that's really a change in in terms that. You, so in the past, you you could still have uh, the idea that you worked in a laboratory and uh, and did your 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 thing and published a paper and basically. 99.9% of the world wouldn't know at, uh, at all uh, and never would know. So that that is no longer the case, I think. So and and that really changed also the the scientific endeavor in terms of uh, how you need to uh, interact also with people outside science. How you have to step out your own discipline and work with other disciplines, and that that makes it a lot more complicated. Uh, so and that's also why we I think yeah we 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 ask more from our scientists yeah. in terms of different dimensions than what probably uh, when we were still young professors, uh, <laughs> assistant professors. Yeah, you would say that... <laughs> this was a joke. <laughs> you would say that assistant associate professors in the now have a more complicated, yeah, challenging I, task. Oh, definitely, than, definitely, yeah? yeah, no. So when I was starting, uh, that was also remarkable, I started as an assistant professor without having a PhD. That would, of course, be it would, ridiculous nowadays but at that time yeah you could just do uh, very interesting things and uh, follow your own lines of research etc and you 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 were appointed in a in a permanent position and basically no one was really looking at that and, and, and well that started to change in the early 90s uh, of course uh, and that has tremendously developed and I think, yeah, well, uh, uh, sometimes I ask myself, so I have a young daughter who is uh, about to, uh, to graduate for the master and thinking about, of course, her, her career steps. And she's really also into, well, uh, she's very curious and into uh, uh, looking into new things. So, and, of course, she asks her, so should I step into science? So following, uh, and of course, I say uh, directly yes, but then you think twice and you say, well, 
is this indeed what you would recommend? It's quite tough, I think. Uh, we ask a lot. I think it's still fantastic what we do, but it is not become more easy, I think. Can you... Um, he, he doubts that. I'm, uh, I'm thinking back to one of your comments, Dolph, and you said something about the increase, increase of attention to the human side of academia, um, which struck us more or less because I think the past 10 to 15 years, a lot of reports has come out that investigated, surveyed, uh, all kinds of cultural aspects in academia. And for those of you not knowing, there was a huge increase of well-being studies in all kinds of professions from the early eight, 1950s onwards. And only 50 years later, us researchers began thinking, oh, we are people too. We can actually also check our own well-being. That already might be an indication of something. Uh, what do you think of that increased attention? Um, is that wise? Is that useful? Or do you think, no, it's, it's time spent in a less useful way. We didn't need it 50 years ago. Why would we need it now? What do you think? I mean, if you... If you look at other statistics, then you will also realize that representation in science is absolutely abominable. There's a reason for that, right? So I think, you know, to, to foster, to, to have a healthy, diverse culture where everybody feels at home, it's absolutely essential to focus on, on the well-being, on representation. So um, I, I, I would not say that, you know, science has done well for the past uh, century, so let's not change anything. Um, I, I think science has done very well, but it has done very poorly at being a home for a diverse set of people. So I think that this, this more sort of belated focus on uh, sort of the human uh, capital, the human side of science is actually going to help having a sort of a, a, a better, um, healthier place for people to work. Yeah, thanks. Let's um, yeah. ask you uh, on stage. Please welcome to Associate Professors Ilona de Hoge and Schauke Kingma and Assistant Professor Wouter Kolen. I must say, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the applause, with the fact that it's here. It does feel a little bit like it just came out of a lockdown, is getting used to <laughs> being used. But, but let's see how far we progress in the upcoming. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Is there anything you've heard this far that struck you as, ah, I recognize this, or I'm happy that this is told, oh, or I indeed see a difference between how Arthur Moll, for instance, has experienced assistant professorhood. Anything that sparked your interest? I'm uh, very happy that I hear Dolph talk about uh, personal management and uh, making sure that the people are doing well because happy people will lead to good science because I think that's something I fully agree upon. Uh, and it's also something I would like to bring to my group that first and foremost, there should be happy people. And happy people make good scientists. And good scientists do good science. Are, how are you doing, if I may ask? Extremely, I'm extremely nervous, but you might hear that <laughs> from my voice. <laughs> Thank, thanks. I'm, I'm asking, obviously, also because Arthur Moll also said, well, I think, actually, that that's, I think, what you said, that associate professors, assistant professors now have maybe an even more complex and challenging, challenging task than you had. So therefore, I think the, the question, are, are you yeah, okay? That, Is it yeah, doable? Um, I'm still trying to figure out whether or not it's doable. 
but uh, the transition from being solely responsible or to some extent responsible for your own scientific uh, career and now all of a sudden being also responsible for the scientific career of the people that work for you and also put their faith in your uh, choices. I think that's mind-blowing uh, just to grasp that. that that's, that's also confident from their point of view to me, which, uh, which I'm trying to cope with on a daily basis. Yeah. What made you, if I may ask, Bart, what, what made you, because you took on responsibilities and you now name a few that sort of challenge you and that uh, might be hard uh, or stressful, what made you embark on that journey, journey to become a leading researcher? What I think uh, too many ideas to do by my own. <laughs> you had to. That, uh, that having uh, more people joining you and to do better and more science and, and, and to contribute to society in that sense. Uh, I think that was kind of naive the way that I thought I would start this. And then all of a sudden being somewhat successful, getting funding for people, and then realizing, oh my God, there will be actually people coming <laughs> that I will be responsible for. That was kind of the, the afterthought. Thank you. Maybe we'll get back to you about it, definitely. Schauke? Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good, thanks, yeah. Um, one thing that I think is indeed something that is worth talking about is the more complexity and we talked about it a bit before it's like i think all the tenure trackers struggle with juggling too many balls almost and also getting familiar with and this sounds very negative because most of it is actually very exciting but because it is very so very exciting we want to also jump in that for 100 percent and if you have too many hundred percent it adds up very very quickly so um I think it's finding priorities within that kind of managing a team, actually creating a team in the first place, um, getting your team. So we are still a bit in the twilight zone between being the own researcher and doing your own research and getting your team to actually do that research while in the meanwhile learning to teach, uh, organizing teaching, teamwork and all these things. Uh, but it's also very exciting. So that's the that's the bit of the difficulty that I think we one can face. May I ask? Because I think we have around thirty tenure trackers here, who recognize. Hi. Who recognize? Sorry, I, I have seen her before. Whatever. Um, <laughs> who recognize the image of juggling? A lot of balls, maybe too many, and not knowing yet if you'll get there. Who says, I recognize? I would say not everyone, but a sure majority, right? Um, you too, or not really? Not anymore. Ilona. Not anymore. <laughs> and she's smiling. She's victorious. <laughs> What's the secret? <laughs> I, d I followed the Leeuwenhauer trajectory. <laughs> That's better <laughs> commercial. No, um, I th I've been through this whole phase of finding out your own identity. That's actually, I think it is. Finding your own identity as a leader and also as a lecturer, because we haven't spoken about that, but it's in the title, right? And uh, finding a way to supervise your group of people, developing yourself in that. Um, and um, now, I think since half a year or so, I made the switch in my mind, realizing 
I've been doing this already for eight, 10, 12 years. And actually, if I take a look at my PhD students, they're doing quite well. If I take a look at my courses, it all goes fluently. So maybe it's just more in me feeling confident in, I can do this. That's the reason why people hired you, why they trusted you, because they see some value in you. It's just about you developing this potential. Mm. And could you, because this, of course, is uh, super interesting. I think more people would like to get there, at least in a state where you feel confident and sort of in control is the correct term. But could you take us a little bit into your journey from, because you have been there in the face of challenge, and, and will you get there with, like most people in the room actually identify with? Could you take us a little bit in which steps or situations or learning experience were crucial in getting there? Yeah. I'm not saying that you're finished now, right? But no, just <laughs> taking no. this step. <laughs> no. I want to get us his position, so. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right, like right now, or does he have a little bit of time to <laughs> finish his? <laughs> um. <laughs> no, so in terms of uh, what was essential for my development, I can be very clear in that, uh, my burnout. Yeah. On that. yeah, yeah. So uh, um, I got a daughter ten years ago and a son seven years ago. Um, they both had huge health issues. Woke up through the night three times a night on average, and um, a surgery multiple times. And doing a tenure track for seven years in addition to being a mother for these stressful people, not sleeping through the night. That crashed me. Um, and although a burnout sounds very heavy and terrible and people also, oh, 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 um, I think it's also one of the most valuable learning lessons I've ever had. Um, because you're confronted in what you can and cannot do. And you really are forced to take a look at how you developed your life this far and realizing I can't do everything. I'm just a human. I'm not superhuman. I can't be a great parent and a great caregiver and a great uh, tenure tracker all at the same time. Because I need to make choices and take care of myself and my health in a sustainable way. And that, as a consequence, makes you forced to think of what is it that I really care about in life? What is it that I really want? And what is the thing that's less important to me? And just that I may say no to or just drop or put it as a third or fourth or fifth or tenth place on your list of to-do things. And as a consequence, you focus on what is really important to you. And for me, that was, of course, doing good research, being an inspiring lecturer, but especially manage my team of great people because they're all so talented and creative. <laughs> um, and they're doing a great job. And it's wonderful to see that they can really grow to perfect schoolers just by me giving them some support or mentoring when they need it most. Would you say, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, but would you say that indeed the experience of the burnout, which we don't offer from our development program, but we, you, you, you can get into, um, but would you say that incremental there indeed was that the difference between thinking you have to do everything, so all the complexity coming at you, like Arthur said, or the juggling of balls that Chauke mentioned, 
feeling like you have to be superhuman and do everything and that your burnout helped you to more, let's say, radically pick and choose because there was no other option there? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I would say so. And may I ask, well, may maybe all of you, that, and I'm formulating it in a much too black way, but bear with me, it, it helps for the excitement of today. Um, <laughs> is a burnout necessary? This is a wrong question, but let me rephrase it. What is needed to pull off the switch in feeling yourself empowered to make those decisions that will make everything coming your way as an associate or uh, assistant professor, making it doable? What helps in flipping the switch from I'm trying to do everything, I'm superhuman, to I'm not superhuman, I might get burned out or demotivated or whatever. Um, what helps in flipping that switch, you think? Uh, well, what, uh, it's, it's not as dramatic as, as your story. Uh, but um, what helped me a lot is it, what I also try to do is uh, in a situation, uh, I think, which is very recognizable for all of us, that you get more and more things coming on your plate and uh, you have to serve more and more masters or goals, etc. Uh, and then at a certain moment, you, you, you cannot cope with that with just uh, uh, putting an additional hour in, uh, in the evening or in the weekend, etc., uh, and at least with me it worked, so I was not in a, not at all in a burnout, but I thought this is not going to work well. And then I started saying just no. And and everything just continued. And if I didn't do anything, uh, uh, well, things were moving, well, maybe even better when I was involved in that. So that helped me a lot. So the realization that even if you are, uh, say, a leader or a, res a responsible person for a group, Usually, it, it is very much self-governing also. So you, there are only very, uh, very few moments and tips where you have to step in uh, and show responsibility. And, and a lot of things you, you step in also because you like it. So, But the, the idea that indeed only on, in few instances you are really necessary as a leader for a chair group or for an organization or for a smaller group, uh, yeah, that helped me a lot. So that realization, uh, and that gives me a lot of uh, ease. So, so the fact that uh, if I couldn't make it, then... Most of the time, it also continues. Mm. So if I was not sitting here, you would have an even a better panel then. So yeah. but I liked <laughs> it, of course. Uh. May, may that reminds me that uh, we did a year-long development program at another university at TU Delft uh, a little while ago, and we did a lot of on-the-job assignments, and the rule was the on-the-job assignments should always be relatively small and easy. And after a year, we asked what the most effective on-the-job assignment was of these researchers. And... What struck us was that on top of that list was the assignment to say no at least once a day to something, which to us felt way forced to ask participants to do that, right? Irrespective of what comes your way, every day say no. It seems a little bit awkward and forced, but really every single one of them indicated that was the most crucial because I think they discovered what Arthur just said, like... The idea that everything that comes your way is your responsibility and you want to do a good job, sometimes that's also in the way, right? Uh, in the way of discovering you don't have to be everywhere all the time. Uh, yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say something very similar, but I think m many people have the tendency to micromanage. 
And, you know, when there is a million buttons you have to push, then, then of course, I mean, you want to feel in control of all these things that need to be done. But but as I, uh, as, as Artur also just said, uh, what I found, when, you know, when my team was actually operating well, I could, you know, travel for weeks and nothing would actually change. Right? It's a bit confronting to see that you're not necessary anymore, but it actually means that you, you trained your people well. So I, it gets back to something that I've said before. So, I mean, if you have to choose from 10 things what, what to invest in, I would choose... In, in sort of facilitating the development of, of people in the team so that they don't need you so much anymore. And, and so that also gets back to priorities. I think the, the question is, what guides your priorities? Is it the things that you would really like to do yourself or would you like to make yourself as obsolete as possible? I think that's where everybody has to choose their own flavor. But, but I think that is eventually what allows uh, to do all these things that, you know, on paper, if you look at all the things that many of us do, say that's impossible. But I think the, 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 the magic really is in focusing attention to those things where you can actually make a difference. And for many things, you don't actually need to make that difference. Yeah. How do you discover where you make the difference I mean, you have to experiment. I mean, eventually, I mean, we're all scientists, right? So you have to try things, and then you'll find that for some things you're really necessary, and 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 otherwise, you know, the that project will just go completely down the drain. The grant is not funded, or the paper is an absolute nightmare. Um, so that will happen. But but at the same time, you might also experiment and find that other things actually don't need your involvement that much. So I think you know that's going to be different for everybody because all of our strengths are in different places. But but I think eventually you have to experiment and see where you're really necessary and where you're maybe less necessary. Yeah. So might I take that comment up as let's say an invitation to experiment with behavior situations to see where is your involvement crucial, making making the difference, and where it's it's super nice that you're here, but. It's not needed. You can also go on a holiday, right? Cool. By the way, I have 78 questions left. Um, but feel free that if someone in the audience wants to ask something, raise your hand, right? I will most probably see you and go to you with a microphone without being aggressive. That's how it sounded. I will friendly, in a friendly manner approach you. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, thank you. Well, I really like this discussion and the point you make about uh, working with people and, um, and those type of comments. Um, then it's also about tenure track, and there are some criteria that are laid down in tenure track. Uh, they have to, well, we all know what these are. How do you think those tenure track criteria uh, relate to what you're all saying here? And uh, yeah, how, how does that fit? How does that yeah, go together? Do you have a specific criterion in mind? Well, there are three main ones, which is numbers of papers and grants and, and the teaching, you know, so we know what these are. Yeah. Um, and before but, I and, give and the also, mic... you know, working in a team or being more as an individual, I mean, that's one clear one, of course, because, yeah, where do the credits go? Um, yeah, but I think since, yeah, the, the points you make are very valid, and then, yeah, how, yeah, how does it fit? Before I pass the mic, do you have an own perspective on that question already? Yeah. <laughs> then, well, give I it. think I mean I think that uh, many of the things you're mentioning are super important, but they're a bit hidden, to say the least, maybe, in those criteria, like working together, for instance. Huh? How uh, it's also these things, these points you mentioned are also difficult to measure, maybe, huh? like numbers of papers and their impact factor that gives you a clear figure, and also the grants, etc. 
whereas there's these more soft criteria, as you could uh, classify them, they are much yeah, more difficult to sort of, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Applause for the first question from the audience. <laughs> oh, and your name? I'm Simon Schoustra. I work at the Laboratory of Genetics here at uh, this university. Okay. Thank you. Who can I pass the mic? This is by... <laughs> 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 yeah? Okay. This is something you recognize, right? And I would almost say not only in tenure track, but in general, how academia work as opposed to what sometimes intentions or wishes are in terms of lists to fulfill, things to be measured for your career. Yeah, so I, I will answer this before Arthur has, has gone to, <laughs> to the mandatory response to, to this question. It's very obvious, of course, your, your question, but I think what I've been trying to say is that, um, you know, I propose a certain way of sort of working in science. I, I don't propose to, to um, sort of focus on the papers or focus on the grants or focus on whatnot. But, but um, the, the point I'm trying to make is that if your choices are, uh, are guided by the right principles and if you, you put the focus in the places where you can make the most difference, then the consequence is that there will be papers and the consequence is that there will be grants and the consequence is that the teaching will be good. So I think what I'm trying to propose is to focus on the absolute fundament and, and to, to make priorities there because then everything else that is going to be quantitatively uh, measured is going to follow from that. Of course, it sounds very easy, uh, I've also been through tenure track. I know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and of course, it requires luck here and there. It requires the right choices here and there. But, but I think it's very hard to reach all of these, to push all the buttons without making fundamental decisions about where priorities are. Yeah. Would you then say, please again, correct me if I'm wrong, that the things you just mentioned to focus on and the require official measurable requirements, they are not contradictory. One should or could actually lead to the other by focusing on those core principles that you mentioned, you will actually get those quantifiable outcomes? If all goes well, yes. I mean, as I said, I make, it, I make it sound easy, but I think it's, it's hard to do it the other way around, right? To focus on the output and then try to find a way to get there. I think it's better to start at the, at the f foundational principles uh, to make sure that the output will be there, right? Arthur? Yeah, um, so I very much like that answer. Um, so, the, of course, uh, the official reaction would, of course, be uh, sitting here as a rector. Also, I said, well, we have uh, this process uh, of recognition and reward, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'll not give that one. Uh, so so uh, I think that, indeed, we, we are in, in need for a revision of that. But, uh, but I think it's also uh, interesting always to, to understand a little bit where it's coming from, eh? so where we have, why we have this tenure track. Because it's always been a little bit put forward, or oh, that is something with the executive board or the, 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 the graduate schools or the general directors want. But actually, it was born out of the, and uh, I was there, so I still recognize that quite well. It was born out of uh, the, the wish to have some uh, predictability on when you could have promotion or not. And I think we, we over, over, over jumped that in trying to measure everything in a very uh, quantitative manner. I think that is not uh, good, but it helped a lot of people. So when I was uh, an assistant professor, I had to wait when my professor was, uh, well, not falling dead, but retiring, then there would be a position, etc. So I think the fact that we passed that is a major asset. So I want to keep that in, and, and I want to keep the idea of that we want, what we try to do is to do 
good, or we could say even excellent science, but just yeah, to, to make sure that there is a difference between good science and, well, less good science. So, so that are the two core things which I think we, we want to keep in, uh, in developing this tenure track. And now it has a very, I sometimes hear, a very negative connotation, which I think it shouldn't have. But of course I see, and, and I think that was a little bit in your, your question, I think the way we have operationalized now and also the way it is being uh, implemented uh, in, in bugs, etc. It's not always yeah, uh, uh, helping people to get enthusiastic about uh, uh, science as a career or uh, science as, an, as a way of uh, uh, yeah, developing a certain uh, 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 job, so to say. Uh, but rather blocking that. So in that sense, I think we have to move a little bit away from that. Uh, and I think the best thing would be indeed to, to move very much into Dolph's direction and to, to have much more, well, your peers uh, looking at you and discussing with you. So what are you now actually doing? And is that the best way what you're doing? And what are you achieving? And what do you want to achieve, etc.? Uh, so if we move a little bit uh, uh, in that direction, that would help, I think, a lot. Uh, we would still uh, probably have some kind of indicators for that. Uh, I think we need some kind of predictability because uh, uh, people are coming to me and also to Dove. So what do I need to do to become a rector, for instance? I just heard uh, kick out the old rector, they could say. But uh, <laughs> So in that sense, I think yeah, there's a kind of balance between a very open system and an extremely closed system as we have now, uh, nowadays. And yeah, and, and, I've, uh, and uh, so I don't give a very precise answer also because it's not my. So basically, what I see myself, my job, is to, to guide this process and to make sure that the outcome helps us as a scientific institution to, to uh, move uh, forward. So. May I say before we go to, to you as well, <laughs> that, um, that this does relate to an uh, overall, uh, and I know I'm, I'm generalizing maybe too much, to an overall uh, tendency in academia to operationalize goals in quantifiable things and also apply that to career. career. So, of course, the well-known publish or perish idiom. You know, you have to publish, 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 publish a lot. And does that do justice to team science? Does it do justice to creativity and innovation, et cetera, et cetera? But the tendency is so strong that we also have sometimes uh, now intakes with potential uh, participants, uh, not only here, also in other universities, for whom doing a development program primarily was, ah. Oh, I also had to do something for which I can get credits that I can tick off. And that once we have showed them the credits and they're in, we have to do, and, and we love it, right? So I'm not complaining here, but we have to do quite some work to get their mindset from, I'm here to, I have to be here three hours to get that credit and then I have to run to actually go to the next box I should check. For some, the hurdle is quite big, right? And I think it shows quite some discipline or wisdom from, from your side that you say, no, go back to those principles instead of running around to check all the boxes that you need in the end, right? But it does sound like an, a huge uh, challenge for, for many. Ilona? Yeah, if I can add to that, I think that, um, yes, if you're focused only on Wageningen University, you might have that tendency to say, okay, I need to take all those boxes. Um, but I've, I've visited many different other universities in the Netherlands where they also have tenure track systems. And there the tenure track criteria is publishing, good teaching evaluations, and maybe sometimes be a good colleague, whatever that may be. And what I so very much like about the tenure track system in Wageningen is that it's not only that. It, there are actually nine different points which include building up your team, 
personal development. Uh, and those are aspects that I think are very valuable and that we, we in terms of the whole science and there's all universities tend to overlook. So I actually view Wageningen more as a forerunner on focusing on all those additional elements and just be having the privilege to also follow these courses compared to other universities where it's just publish or perish. We need, here, here, we need to uh, conclude this meeting. I'm, I'm sorry to say, I know you wanted to ask something. Are you okay? Is it a super, yeah? Um, I'd like to have a, a super final thing, and that is, as you know, the upcoming Kenya Track Development Program um, behaves on uh, the basis of learning needs. So the groups that will enter will actually be assessed uh, uh, regularly, and that will actually create the upcoming training days, polls, etc., etc. My question to all five of you is, if you could name one theme or topic that should definitely be in one of the first course days, what would it be for tenure trackers? Yeah? I think uh, uh, what I would have liked uh, very much to be in, so I would now follow that, is uh, a, a better look inside. So an introspection, uh, so where are your strong points and where are your weak points, and how can you uh, either develop the one, uh, the last one, uh, what, what, no, the strong one uh, further, and, and uh, cover up a little bit for the weak one and find ways of uh, moving that around. So I think, yeah. Thank you. Ilona? Yeah, in indeed. indeed. Uh, I would say the same thing. And in relation to that, I think also the, the mind switch from focusing only on yourself and your own CV and your own career to, wait a minute, I can do this as a team, I can take a step back and help my supervisor, my PhD students do, well, not the work for me, but <laughs> become a leader instead of focusing on yourself. Thank you. Wouter? I would say, say the saying no part. Say no. Because saying no is, I think, more, one of the more hardest things to do as a scientist. Thank you. This has been the Human Side of Research, brought to you by Downside Up. I'm Geza, and I hope you'll tune in again next time as well. If you have any feedback on this episode, let me know, and send an email to podcast at downsideup.nl. This podcast is made to support researchers in their personal development. Do you have a burning question regarding your career? Do you have an insightful story you would like to share? Or you know a topic we should cover or a person we need to invite? Please let us know. Send us an email to podcast at downsideup.nl. Have a good day.